my name is Matt Kennedy, and this is the Steadfast Podcast. This podcast exists to use Bible study and theological teaching to encourage you to be steadfast in your faith. Thank you for taking time out of your day to check out the Steadfast Podcast. I hope today's episode is an encouragement to you. We started Luke chapter 12 last week. Jesus had left the dinner gathering with the Jewish leaders, and he had returned to preaching. He warned of their religious hypocrisy. He warned us to fear the Father while telling us about His love. He warned us to fear the Son while telling of His faithfulness. And He warned us to fear the Holy Spirit while telling us of His provision. Truly, it was a very Trinitarian sermon that taught the crowd quite a bit about who God is and what He's about. This week we will continue working through this sermon, which apparently turns quite interactive. We're going to pick up in verse 13, quote, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions, End quote. So the crowd participation seems rather random. Now, as a youth pastor, I am not a stranger to random things being said mid-teaching that can derail where we're trying to go quite quickly. But what is happening here is more maybe culturally fitting than a teenager who just wasn't paying attention. It was actually relatively common for rabbis or teachers to handle such disputes. They would just call them out, and the rabbi, with the the wisdom and learning that they had, would help the people navigate through those complicated situations. And we know Jesus was certainly a rabbi, though much more than a rabbi, but definitely not less. So this random man in the crowd, he decides to shoot his shot. Maybe Jesus would agree with him and he could get something out of it. Maybe his brother could be taught a lesson about generosity or or what have you. But clearly Jesus has no interest in involving himself in this matter, but instead decides to make this a teaching opportunity as he so often does. For Jesus, the heart behind the question and the motivation it carried was more important than the actual dispute. Jesus tells us to be on guard against covetousness. For life is about so much more than just the stuff that we have or the stuff that we want. Greed and strongly desiring stuff is not going to lead to a fulfilled life. Just getting more stuff or more money is not going to be the cure we look for. Now, Jesus is the master of using parables to drive home a truth. So, to drive home why covetousness is so dangerous to the human heart, and how we are to go about life, he's going to use a parable. Through this parable, the man asking the questions will hopefully see that he's asking the wrong question altogether. So let's pick back up in verse 16 and following. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this, I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years, relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. 
End quote. A man lives a fortunate life. He produces far more than he needs, and he actually produces more than he can even store. At this point in his life, he really has two choices. He could give some away, or he could build bigger barns. Of course, he decides to build bigger barns. The plot twist that he did not see coming is that this was going to be his last day. We are not promised tomorrow. We never know when a day could be our last. You've all heard the phrase, you can't take it with you. That could easily be the title to this parable Jesus told. This man was seemingly so fortunate in this life and had got so much good that he was like, how can I store all of this and take a few years off? When all of that work amounted to nothing, for his day was called far sooner than he ever could have guessed. You have to wonder what this man might have done differently if he had known how temporary his life truly was. The challenge that is at the center of this parable is to evaluate, are we living for the earthly and the temporary, or are we living for the heavenly and the eternal? The man who is coveting his brother's inheritance was placing too much value on earthly treasure. His eyes were fixated on a prize that would not last. And we can be so consumed with treasure, with achievement, with relationships that we wished we had, that we would give anything to get, that we would be willing to put all of our cards on that table, go all in for that thing that we think we have to have to be happy or successful or whatever. We look to what others have and we long for it, but no matter what it is, here on this earth, it will not last, and we certainly cannot take it with us. The man in the parable had spent so many hours and days, weeks, months, years climbing towards a goal, and when he got to the top, he found he didn't have as many days as he thought he had, for this life is temporary. The example I'm about to use is not meant to cast any implication on the man in the example, for I don't know anything about his heart. It is merely to illustrate that no achievements last the way we expect them to, that nothing that we can pursue that is earthly and temporary will last like we think it will. The University of Alabama press release on January 10th, 2024 at 6.29 p.m. said that the legendary football coach Nick Saban had retired. Now, Nick Saban was hired by Alabama in 2007, and since then he won the school's six national championships and nine conference championships, making him, making Alabama the gold standard of college football. Truly the greatest run by any college coach ever. And as he retires, he is worth, according to Google, over $93 million. That is pretty crazy. Yet, on January 12th, 2024, at 6.21 p.m., which is 47 hours and 52 minutes later, University of Alabama's website released the announcement of his replacement being hired. It took less than two days for the University of Alabama to replace the greatest college football head coach of all time. Now, I don't mean to doubt how awesome you are or the weight of your achievements, but if someone who has achieved as much in earthly standards as Saban has can be replaced in less than 48 hours, don't you think anything you or I do could be replaced as well? Jesus is calling all of his followers to prioritize that which will matter 30,000 years from now, 30 million years from now, not something that others could replace within 48 hours. 
What do we prioritize? Furthermore, does the way that we spend our time, does the way that we spend our treasure or the way that we use our talents testify to what we claim we prioritize? Because how we use our time, how we use our treasure, which is our, our, our money, our resources, and how we use our talents, the skills that God has given us, will show us a lot about what is important to us. When we seek to ask what is truly important and worth our lives, let us ask, will this matter 30,000 years from now? When surely eternity, heaven, and hell are firmly established, where there is no other alternative? Or will this thing that I am so stressed and worried and consumed with, will it not matter 30 years, 30 months, maybe not even 30 hours from now? I'm sure we can buy into that well, right? But at some level, some may be thinking, well, focusing on treasure in heaven is great. Pursuing the godliness and the good works that flows from godliness, all for that. But heavenly treasure doesn't quite fill up the belly, right? Well, Jesus answers this, starting in verse 22, quote, And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? If then you who are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these." But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat, what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you." Verse 22 starts with the word therefore, and in Bible interpretation, when we see the word therefore, I know this is cheesy, but it is helpful. When we see the word therefore, we always ask, what's it there for? All right, I said it was cheesy, I get it. We ask that because it's a word that will connect what has just been said to the next thought. So as the author is building an argument or building a case or building a line of thinking, it connects the two thoughts. So track this line of thinking, okay? We are called to not lay up our treasure on earth, but to lay it up in heaven. And our needs will be met because we have a heavenly father. We are children of God. And our heavenly father knows what we need and he will take care of us. He says, don't be anxious because there is a father who cares for you. The ravens are fed by God, yet we are more valuable to God than ravens. The lilies are dressed better than kings, yet we are more valuable to God than the lilies. 
Jesus reminds us that we do not have the ability to add a single hour to our life, yet we stress ourselves out over so many things. Perhaps so much of our anxiousness, so much of our stress, and so much of our worry, and even our our coveting spirit comes from pursuing control over these things, the things that we can't always control. We think we have to be in control, but we're not. And we know we're not, so we get so overwhelmed. Jesus is giving us an invitation to bring to God our stresses, our anxiousnesses, our worry, and to trust Him that He's going to take care of us. That when He says, pursue heavenly things, that He's not leaving us high and dry. That He knows what you need before you need them. He knows what you need better than you do. And that since He loves you and cares for you, you can trust Him with it. Which really brings us to the heart of this issue. Jesus uses an interesting phrase in verse 28. He says, Oh, you of little faith. It's almost as if we covet and we stress out of a lack of faith. That maybe we doubt that our Heavenly Father either wants to give us what we need, or maybe we doubt that He can give us what we need. Maybe all this really just boils down to, do I believe that God will come through for me? Do I believe that He will be faithful to me? Now, the thing is, I know all the church people will, of course, say, I 100% believe, and then they'll add some church cliche after that. But here's the thing. Do our actions show that we believe? I mean, think of Hebrews 11. In Hebrews 11, we find what's called the Hall of Faith. So many giants of the faith are commended for their works of their faith, the things their hands did because their hearts believed God. Noah's hands built an ark because his heart believed God. Do our hands show that we believe that God will come through? Are we giving God our time, our treasures, and our talent showing that we believe He's going to come through? Are we pursuing heavenly gain, believing that God will meet our earthly needs? Those are hard questions to answer, honestly. Let's pick back up and read verses 32 through 34. Quote, Fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. End quote. What a verse 32 is. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Bringing you into his family is not something he does begrudgingly. It is no mere obligation to our Heavenly Father. It is his good pleasure. I like the way the Christian Standard Bible puts it, quote, Don't be afraid, little flock, because your Father delights to give you the kingdom. End quote. He delights. He enjoys. It brings him good pleasure. He delights to, as Ephesians 2, 7 says, quote, So that in the coming ages he might show you the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. End quote. He delights to show you immeasurable riches. Yes, he delights in this earthly life to give you good gifts such as food, clothes, other things you need. That is for sure. 
When God blesses you with anything, it is not an act he grows weary of, but in truth, he delights in giving it to you. Have you ever gotten someone a gift and were just so excited to give it to them? How you just couldn't wait for them to open up the gift so that you could see the joy on their face. How you delighted in giving them that gift. Dare I say your father gets even more delight with every gift he gives you. All of that is true. But in Ephesians 2, 7, it points us to eternity, the kingdom of heaven and the immeasurable riches of his grace. So much good, you would not be able to count the good if you had eternity to count it, and you will. So if our Father is taking care of us, then what do we do? We freely give. We live with open hands. We live generously with our time, our treasure, and our talents. I mentioned earlier that the man in the parable had two choices, to give away or to build bigger barns. He wasn't thinking about a good and gracious father taking care of him, so he built bigger thinking, I must protect me and mine. We do have a good and generous and gracious and perfect father who looks after our needs, who delights in giving us gifts. So let us be generous. Let us live knowing we have a Father who delights in giving good gifts, who delights in blessing His children. Let us remember the words of verse 34 that says, Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Thanks for listening to the Steadfast Podcast. I want to remind you that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, Paul wrote this, quote, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain, end quote. So in light of biblical truth, let us be steadfast, immovable. Let us remember that through Jesus, not one labor is in vain, not one trial is in vain, not one effort in all of our lives is in vain. Because he gives purpose, and that purpose rings through eternity. That's all I've got for you today. Thank you so much for listening. And don't forget, if you've got questions you would like answered, you can email me at matt at steadfastpodcast.com.